a structure of mystical and alien origin, emanating particles of abstract perspectives and reflection into the expansive nightscape to those who know where to listen. This is Monolith Demythos, the Monstro Studio Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new episode of Monolith Demythos, the Monstro Studio Podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm Manuel, and here with me once again is the extra transcendental being himself, Trace Bells. Hey, what's up? Is this episode mm-hmm. five? Episode five. All right. Five in. Mm-hmm. The, the pentagram episode. For real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that's interesting. Just trying to make things sound more occult. Yeah. It'd be a good title for it. Mm-hmm. Today's episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about what we saw, maybe what we did, up until we get to our topic movie of the episode, which is The Rainbow Thief, directed yeah. by Alejandro Hodorowski. Yes. And you're all like, More what? Known. what is that movie? I know. I, I, I knew. That's my thoughts going into it. I knew of it that Alejandro himself was totally not into the movie after he made it because mm-hmm. it is one of those brought on by the studio yeah. uh, director job kind of movies and you know there's like so much that he wanted to do that they wouldn't let him do right so he yeah, was I, just not as much into it as his other uh, movies where he had more control over them yeah artistically I can't wait to talk about it too because I yeah I, I feel like the just talking about it is bigger than the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, pretty much. There's not so, a lot of people want to talk about it. Doesn't seem like there's too much on YouTube or anywhere else about the movie. Oh, no. So uh, we're gonna do that. Oh yeah, and I have plenty of things to say about it as well. But um, cool. First, let's start off. Uh, yeah. So, what have you been up to, Trevor? Um. Well. I, I've you know I've been watching a few things here and there. I've been trying to go to a couple places. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, a couple of our uh, trips got canceled mm-hmm. because of the yeah the virus. So yeah, then the protests. Yes, the protesting. The curfew. Too, the curfew. Um, <laughs> and now you know I guess Arizona's number one right now for uh, the most viruses. It put us yeah, on the map. We're number one. Yeah. We're at, we're not just a hot spot because it's summertime. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're uh, surpassing all types of records this summer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, so you know, things cleared up over the last week. Uh, it was a little rough at the beginning of June, and um, so yeah. I heard I heard my cousin was coming out um, for the weekend. Uh, she lives near uh, San Francisco. And um, uh, she's been out here a couple times, but there's co- a few places where she hasn't gone to, and one of them was mm-hmm. Sedona. And Ooh. yeah, so uh, I, she came by and we talked about it. And you know, like, I was like, hey, why well, do I go? They're like, well, we're going to go Monday. I was like, no, we're going to go Sunday. So that's when I can go. <laughs> so <laughs> I worked that plan out, and it worked out. So uh, we ended up driving up there Sunday, and uh, uh, traffic wasn't too bad. Um, mm-hmm. 
I would say it's probably worse now because the we're having fire problems now. I think it's bushfire. Is that oh, yeah. I looked up some of it today, and I, I guess there's like three fires happening right now. In Arizona. Really? Yeah. You get, I've just been so like self-contained that I had no, I yeah. hardly had any idea that most of this was going on. Yeah. It, well, you know what it is? It's when you're trying to uh, plan something outside of the vicinity of the, what do you call mm-hmm. it, the metropolitan? Pollenton area yeah like like outside the skirts of phoenix or mesa or scottsdale Mm -hmm. that's when you got to look up to see like hey is there a fire going on anywhere and then you look it up any flooding yeah yeah we haven't hit the flooding season yet that's probably later on maybe there's an outbreak of coyotes and javelinas yeah and they're having like a turf war with each other I think you just predicted the rest of the summer. So oh, cool. we're going to have fires. <laughs> the flooding's going to put them out. The flooding's going to, uh, uh, you know. Attract all the, the wild coyotes yes. and javelinas. And, you know, big tarantulas and uh, scorpions and killer mm-hmm. wasp. Yeah. Yeah. The wildlife's going to go wild in Arizona. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, we, uh, we went up to Sedona and... Uh, uh, it was the first time I'm up there. I wanted to go to visit different spots. It wasn't my first time. It was, it was like my fourth or fifth. Honestly, I lost count. Um, I told you this a mm-hmm. long time ago, though. Every time I do go there, it's with different people, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it ends up always being in the same place, which is like the tourist spot, you know, like the, the main yeah. street. And, you know, that's where most people go, where all the shops are and uh, um, all that stuff. And if a lot of people don't know about Sedona, it's, it's a popular place here in Arizona, but not only just in Arizona, but in the U.S. And not only in the U.S., but also across the world because um, they have a lot of vortexes there. And a vortex is when you can fill Earth a little bit differently than other spots around the globe. It just has uh, different frequencies there, and um, it makes you feel different. Trippy stuff happens out there. Yeah. Um, people come from all around the world come to Sedona, even to do rituals and stuff like that. I even had a movie idea about a ritual movie out there. But mm-hmm. uh, that would take some time and some money to to uh, get something like that going. But uh, Look at there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Sedona is a very spiritual place. You can go down there. It has a lot of crystal shops, uh, yoga practice centers, and uh, meditation centers. Um, and I think it's kind of like a retirement city, right? A lot of yeah, there's quite a bit of old people kind of hanging out in the outskirts. A lot of snowbirds. Of mm-hmm. And it's also, um, I would say, about 20 degrees, 20 to 30 degrees cooler than a lot of places in Arizona, So which is kind oh, of yeah. different, too. Because uh, it's interesting, because isn't it, when you say, like, we almost have the same temperature as Vegas, right? Like, like maybe today, yeah. maybe 10 degrees cooler in Vegas. Like, they get in the hundreds, right? Oh, yeah, they definitely do. I would say that maybe they're even like five. They're always like teetering from five to ten degrees. Yeah. Either below or over. And that's what's funny because like Sedona's like not I'm not saying they're like in, it's in the middle between, you know, Phoenix and Vegas. But it's like it's still within like two hours of each, you know, mm-hmm. city. But it's weird how it's like 23 to 30 degrees cooler than in it's that elevation. The elevation, man. Cooler yeah. temperatures Lo- go up a little higher, then you get to Flagstaff, and that's when it yeah. drops really low, really nice. Yeah, that's where you get, where you get your snow. Does it snow in Sedona? I think it does, uh, right? A couple times? Uh, I think so. I 
Honestly, I don't remember I think it being there when right? it did get cold enough to snow in the wintertime. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I'm thinking when I think of snow in Arizona, I always think of Flagstaff. But I guess right now mm-hmm. in these kind of days, they were getting a lot more snow in weirder places. For, yeah, for least, real. <laughs> I know the I know like I know the US is. There's Mil I think uh, Milwaukee was getting snow in April this year. Yeah. Or last year. <laughs> so definitely winter's changing all around. And uh, climate change is fun. Yeah. It kind of keeps you on your toes. And I think you, you've <laughs> seen some pictures where like like didn't it like snow in Vegas just just recently too, like maybe a year ago or two? I um, think so. Yeah, they were like I'm not saying it snowed snowed, but just even mm-hmm. having some snowflakes dropping down, and you're just like, wait, what? So just having a thin layer of it or even some frost. Yeah, I remember they were when freaking it's out of out season. About that. I think a lot of people for, uh, forget about stuff like that when it comes to mm-hmm. weather because there's so much stuff going on in our reality. You're just like, oh, yeah, I forgot it snowed in Vegas. Also, or, it usually the, when those kind of hiccups occur, it's usually really quick. So, and then it's just uh, back to kind of the normal weather, weather, <laughs> back to the normal weather. Yeah. And then, you know, you never know what's going to be next. Um, like you said, we're, you know, I'm not even focused on the heat because there's so much going on right now, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, yeah, to finish up the Sedona trip, um, uh, so we took my cousin there. She enjoyed it. She had a great time. Uh, nice. I spent about a good hundred bucks there. I think I spent like 40 just on sauces there. Um, nice. yeah, I, I got a coconut sauce that I want you to try. I haven't tried it yet, but it's a coconut, coconut sauce. Yeah, a coconut hot sauce. I, it sounds weird, right? But uh, sounds contradictory. Yeah, coconut usually kind of refreshes and cools you down. Hot sauce does quite the opposite. So mm-hmm. I bet that'd be interesting. Um, I would, I would love to try that. Yeah, and I, I think it was made by a maker there in Sedona because the, the way the brand is um, oh, homebrew, nice. Yeah, uh, I, I bought that brand before, uh, and I bought a different brand of it. But I bought this coconut one version of it. I didn't see it there previous times I was there. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we'll definitely have to try that. It's still unopened. Um, I don't even know what to put okay. it on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> like maybe a pineapple. <laughs> like I don't know. We'll figure. Maybe it out. it's one of those kind of weird toppings, mm-hmm. or for it's just one of those kind of uh, weird toppings that you put on like a glass of like chamoy or something. I feel like it's gonna stay closed for a while till I figure out the right food for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, if worse comes to worse, and not even that it's worse, but if it comes down to it, just put on some pizza. You know, like anything can go yeah. on pizza. Usually, yeah, I just yeah. I just put hot sauce on pizza, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't mind coconut. Maybe get a mm-hmm. maybe get a pineapple maybe get a pineapple pizza and put some of that coconut on it before you know it, pissing everybody off. Oh shit! <laughs> that actually sounds amazing. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, mainly for the pina colada part. Yeah. But now that I think about it, wait a minute. There's also a pizza in there as well. So now yeah. now I'm now I'm a little concerned, but I, I'd try it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I I spent a lot of money there. Uh, I think we all spent money there. That was the kind of funny thing about it. Yeah, uh, I'm too cheap. Like I I, I should <laughs> next time I go there, I should have more spending money because there's a lot of interesting stuff. I'm not usually a souvenir guy, but right, maybe I could find something that his could actually be an an interesting little trinket. Yeah, like you said, your hot sauces, or maybe I'll go to that 
one yeah. um i remember the last time we went we went into that uh olive oil and uh, oh yeah, yeah, like yeah vinaigrette store yeah that one's still that there. was interesting yeah i really liked the truffle oil that was there but i think it was like 30 dollars for like 12 ounces um i discovered a couple other new stores too like there's one uh, toy store and it was like a lot of antique toys uh toys in there um mm-hmm. i i did buy one toy it's a um it's a little alien head and uh oh. it's uh it's like you know like an eight ball where you like shake it and it tells you like your answer oh, to your question what? but it's a, it's a little mini alien head it looks like it's about 20 years old, <laughs> but it came with That's the box cool. and everything. It was only like nine bucks. So it's like there's a lot of antique toys in there for a good price. Um, Not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. It, and and I'd never seen that store either. It was like kind of hidden. Like you had to find it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, let's see. Um, I noticed a lot more people wearing masks down there than your usual. So That's like, good. Uh, they did allow only 10 people into a store at a time. So they still kept their rules. But yeah, uh, I just did the tourist type thing again, you know, as usual. But uh, one day I'll uh, go off to the trails and explore a little bit, maybe go camping out there. You can just get a hotel down there. But it's so funny how um, every time I said I've gone with somebody different, uh, it's always the same after plan story to like do it again get a hotel do more it's always Mm -hmm. the same like finalization story with somebody that you went with you know what i mean like hey let's do this again we'll stay the night here you know do some off off trail stuff but then there is never that second time with those people because they Mm -hmm. go back to their regular life but they want more everybody wants more out of sedona so yeah i know i do but i know you probably should go there with at least 2 to 100 to 300 spending dollars just so you don't even yeah. have to worry about nothing. And we mm-hmm. even went there. We didn't even buy food there. That was an interesting thing, too. Mm-hmm. I noticed uh, we didn't even go into any restaurants. I bought a coffee. They bought a coffee, and that was it. And we were fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was kind of a good way to save money, you know? Yeah, I was just snacking on PB&J sandwiches. I got a Safeway. Yeah, because everything's like restaurants, right? Like, there's no fast food down there. You have to go a little bit further. Oh, there's some. They're, they're like not in the uh, the kind of tur- tourist area. Mm-hmm. There's, 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 you yeah, got to go yeah. off a little gotta, bit. Because oh. I know there's a Burger King kind of off the street. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, it's not in the like the, the main street area. But that's mm-hmm. when you get hungry because you're smelling all the foods around. And you're yeah. like, oh, I can't just walk to a fast food, you know? Mm -hmm. maybe there is though like off the sides of the streets like heading into uh like the more community area wise Mm -hmm. you know you could probably find something there or just knock on someone's door and be like hey you guys got some food you know (laughs) (laughs) we're friendlies we're from mesa uh but uh yeah then um then there was some uh traffic on the way back um i guess telling you earlier it telling you earlier uh we would have got back 40 minutes earlier but you know um i don't remember any traffic anytime i got back from sedona do you remember uh when we went there was no traffic on the way back right no yeah it was like fine so this is the first time i experienced traffic down the way back yeah i think uh i was gonna say it was because there was probably no bushfires going on when we were going back right i'm pretty sure when we did leave uh, it was after the one la- that happened last year. Mm-hmm. So we drove past this whole 
charred field. It's just burnt black section twigs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's still burnt out there because <laughs> oh, on, wow. on the way there, it's still burnt out there. Um, yeah, I bet. Yeah, they're not going to do much with that. It'll uh, over time become more like nutrient like dense and yeah. over and over time it'll it should you know hopefully grow a new like plant life hopefully if the shit just starts burning down you know yeah <laughs> uh but yeah that wraps up for my uh sedona trip there cool cool so uh let's get into some movies huh all right yeah um uh what did you end up watching over the weekend I ended up checking out the new Spike Lee joint. Oh, nice. The Five Bloods. Is that a um, a Netflix original film? It is. Netflix oh. exclusive. Netflix exclusive. I, now, I think that- it's one of the I think it's one of those uh, Netflix movies where it wasn't like made previously mm-hmm. and then it went to some film festivals and got picked up by Netflix. Okay. I think um Netflix went to Spike Lee himself and asked him, hey, uh, we'll uh, give you a budget to make, you know, whatever kind of movie you want. Okay, so. And then then this is what he did. He made The Five Bloods. All right. So, yeah, you just answered my next question. So now I understand the difference between a Netflix original and when it just says Netflix. So Netflix original means like they created all of that kind of yeah. thing right and then when exactly because i'm looking at the movie poster now and it just says netflix it doesn't say the original at the bottom mm-hmm. that's or a- sometimes it'll say netflix exclusive okay or it's like um it's not being shown anywhere else but mm-hmm. it also but it usually refers to uh they found it at like some kind of either a film festival mm-hmm. or agents or whatever mm-hmm. for the movie uh, like went up to Netflix and like, hey, do you want to buy this movie and sh- show it on your streaming platform? And they're like, sure, because you know, as you know, brought up before, Netflix will pretty yeah. much put anything on there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's interesting to know about. I don't think a lot of people know about that. I always wondered about that because when mm-hmm. when anything that says just add it to Netflix and you don't find it anywhere else, you don't understand like how it worked out, like yeah, like, like who worked with who and type thing. Um, so I mean, that's what made me think about it. it was like oh Spike Lee like he doesn't need Netflix you know what I mean like he could just wait to go direct a movie or- yeah that's kind of like the sad thing though is that uh, right now there's a lot of these uh, directors who definitely deserve to have the kind of Hollywood studio budgets that they're putting into things like Star Wars Marvel movies or Disney remakes all that and they're just not getting it. So it's up to that. So it's up to streaming platforms like Hulu and Netflix. Mm-hmm. And they're um, they're the ones who are getting these um, uh, pioneer directors to uh, make films again, like uh, Martin Scorsese with The Irishman, and then I think David Fincher did something recently too. But I already I already forget what it is. And I know that they had J.J. Abrams come in for Love, Death, and Robots, which was a really interesting anthology. Yeah, I watched uh, quite a few of those episodes. I did not know J.J. Abrams was involved with that. Yep. Mm. And um, now, I want to say now the newest one is this movie, The Five Bloods. Right. So, um, how was this movie? It was okay. It was okay. <laughs> yeah, I remember, you, <laughs> I remember you gave me, like... 
a couple lines about it. Um, I mm-hmm. saw like the 15 little teaser on uh, Netflix, like showing them is the showing the Vietnam footage and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, that yeah. doesn't look bad. I like anything with war. It's interesting mm-hmm. history and stuff like that. But then I saw Spike Lee and I'm just like, oh, that's a little different for him. Right. right. So um, I don't really know much about Spike Lee. Right. I, I know that he is kind of I don't either. A, I, I see more of his know, name around. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I know he's more of a, I know he's kind of a popular director and there are some movies by him that I want to see. Like, I really wish I saw The Black Klansman mm-hmm. when it came out, but I never did. So this is actually my first Spike Lee movie. Oh, OK. Um, the Black Klansman, I watched about 30, 40 minutes of it and it wasn't bad, but I feel like you need to watch the whole thing to get like a good story out of it. Okay. Um, so you, you need the kind of the ending to kind of, you need the end to kind of, uh, figure out what was going on in the beginning. Right. You're saying? Cause I was like 30, 40 minutes in on the Black Klansman, but I feel like the story was just finally building up. You know, like when those movies mm-hmm. take like 40 minutes to build up. Uh, so that's where I was at with that one. From what you've seen of it, you'd probably get the same kind of sense of the kind of director Spike Lee is, mm-hmm. or at least what I like kind of introduced to him as in yeah. film, because I've heard stories outside of him, outside of filmmaking, and it seems like he's kind of an asshole. Right. Okay. And I'll see him like like on like um, CNN or whatever, or like, and he also... Um, teaches classes i think in new york as well in filmmaking oh that's interesting which is you know it's pretty cool but there's also stories out there where he's just kind of an asshole and like especially uh if you ever look into the story of like uh when he was doing the old boy remake in 2013 oh that's right yeah i I forgot he did the remake but just to go into that really quickly he or a manager or agent of his hired a uh, graphics designer to create like five movie posters based on the uh, the re- the old boy remake, mm-hmm. and they weren't going to really pay him much at first. But the graphics designer was psyched about it, and so he did it anyway. He spent two months making five posters, and he you know sent it out to uh, Spike Lee's people, and they're like, okay, we'll get back with you, and they never really did for like months. So then what ended up happening, they made their own poster based off of one of them and it looked really crappy compared to how it was. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the graphics designer kind of like freaked out like, hey, what the hell? You guys made your own poster based off of uh, the kind of template I gave you and you're not even giving me credit for it. Spike Lee's people like got back to him saying, oh, you know, you're ungrateful, whatever. We're not going to pay you. So then, then after that happened, they up Spike Lee uploaded, uh, I think on his website, the five posters that the graphics designer made and co- put down copyright Spike Lee Productions or whatever on the bottom of it. Oh, geez. So it was just a whole back and forth thing until like ultimately Spike Lee just like went on to it. was like, I never met this man in my life. I don't know him. I never talked to him. Yeah. So- <laughs> that, you know, that's the weird thing about Hollywood. It's just one of those stories where you're just like, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't know what to believe. It's just there. It could, you know, like you could have worse stories about somebody, I guess. It's not the worst story, but it's right. still not great. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not a good look, you know. Um, 
but it and is like it is what it is what happened you know it is what it is there are plenty of stories especially with a lot of people that i look up to in filmmaking or anything in general but I, that's why i feel like it's always important to separate the art from the artist and that's what i did going into watching the five bloods it being you know my first spike lee joint Mm-hmm. So I you, also like that he calls his movie Joints. That's pretty interesting. So what made you, like, despite all, all that, what made you want to just, you know what, I'm going to watch it? I think it's just the the times right now. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot about this guy, but I've never seen any of his movies. Mm-hmm. And I hear he does things, you know, he tries to do things in an interesting way, uh, narratively. Um, so I figured, oh, what a, you know, I'll just jump right into it. Mm-hmm. Like initially, I remember initially I was tired. It was right. like, uh, I don't know if I want to get into it. The um, like I think it, like yeah. Friday or Saturday I watched it. Yeah, because it's a uh, two hours and thirty four minutes. So yeah, it looks like a long movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I but I but I threw it on anyway, and it definitely did kind of like wake me up from that tiredness. But not in, it didn't initially get me you know hyped. Right. I, I did get like a lot of excitement, especially like towards the second half. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely. Wait, so you're saying the first half was better than the second half? Yeah, I would say that it, oh, the, oh, the first like this, the setup was more interesting, especially the uh, the setup was more um, interesting than I would say, like the way that the second half played out. Mm-hmm. But though, because there was there was also a lot more. That's not a good Weird. sign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially especially since there's a lot more uh, interesting things going on in the first half, mainly with um, editing, uh, the way that like the, the characters introduce it, or introduced the dialogues that they had. They were really fun because it's uh, the movie follows these four um, Vietnam veterans. Uh, they call themselves uh, the... The Five Bloods. The movie's, uh, <laughs> I was oh, trying to figure yeah. it out, but yeah. Okay, now I get it. Well, yeah. they, they call themselves the Bloods, but there's five of them, so it's the Five Bloods. Okay. But um, one of them died in action, and mm-hmm. so they're all uh, going back to Vietnam to find his remains and bring him back to the United States for a proper burial. Oh. Huh. So I, I watched about... Another movie I watched for only about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I just can't get through a Spike Lee film. I mean, mm-hmm. Maybe I just, I just watch them at random times because the Black Klansman I watched at a friend's house. But, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't get to finish it because, you know, other things are happening. And then this time I'm watching it at work, so I didn't get to finish it. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm watching this phone, this movie on my phone at work. So I feel like it's a movie I probably should sit down at home and watch and not, uh, you know, through my phone. <laughs> so, but mm-hmm. um, I was like 15 minutes in and it seems like it's already moving fast paced. And that's what makes you, uh, that's what made me realize what you just said. Uh, the first, mm-hmm. the first half is the pacing, the editing, uh, a lot, oh, yeah. more, lot more going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially um, with um, the way that it transitions from, uh back then in vietnam to Mm -hmm. the way things are right now because it's definitely taking that um grand budapest hotel approach with having aspect different aspect ratios representing different time periods yeah uh the present day being the uh being shot in an anamorphic uh ratio Mm -hmm. and then the vietnam 
you know, being the four by the four by three. But uh, but the way that they transition from one to the other is kind of it's I want to say it's interesting, but it's also really jarring mm. and probably won't stand the test of time because what I've uh, what I've learned in film school and what I kind of feel like what and what I feel like is true. Mm. You don't want to have transitions. Yeah. You just want to cut. Just have a straight cut from one shot to the next. Yeah. And that's what um, Wes Anderson did in the Grand Budapest Hotel. But mm-hmm. Spike Lee decided I'm going to just quickly squeeze the from widescreen to a square. Just have that move like really fast. So the black bars kind of like go from top and bottom to side to side. They just kind of the picture just kind of squishes. Yeah. Sometimes no- you'll get. Um, I was noticing that, too. Sometimes you'll get scenery or, or people walking across uh, uh, rotoscoped into the next uh, scene, to the, the, the next shot in a different time period. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even like all the more jarring. Yeah. And um, it's a risky thing, I want to say. I, you know, uh, I, you know, I commend him for that. Try and get out. But yeah. it's not something you want to like keep doing throughout your career. I don't feel like he does. It, should, it definitely feels like something. It's just for this movie. I feel like which um, is fine. I wonder if he doesn't have a theme to his movies. Maybe you can correct me on that. I have um, no idea. I, this, I wouldn't be able to tell you. I you know I can't tell either. Um, I just I, like I hear his name is like bigger than his movies. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. Like I, I've heard his name throughout years. And I'm just like, well, what movie did he make? <laughs> like, I'm I'm pretty sure there are big movies not, that like being it's ignorant. probably going to be one of those movies where we'll hear about it. and be like, oh, Spike Lee, Spike Lee made that movie. Oh, yeah, it's probably one of those. I think it makes me kind of feel bad, <laughs> but but uh, it's, it, but it's also never seen like, it. it's also not like, oh, Spike Lee made that movie. Oh, I'm not watching that. It's not that no. either, you oh, know. No. It's just like I just haven't came across a movie like right. Spike Lee. Exactly. I think uh, the Black Klansman is the most I've ever heard about. Maybe because it was yeah. like the um, like the story of it, the racial mm-hmm. things going on. Just um, like did this did this movie have any racial things going on? Oh yeah, the, the movie throughout the whole movie you have characters they'll they'll bring up you know historic black people right and like oh you know they did this. Than yeah. this or, or like um oh you know this you know he was like you know the first you know like revolutionary you know fighting for our side all the way back in like the late 1700s and it happens so much that it gets to a point where okay this is definitely just spike lee just wanted to bring it up just to put it in your face about it right at the right time mm-hmm like it makes sense it kind of makes sense that the characters will bring it up in the moment but it also like pr- uh like just smothers you with it by having it cut to like a still photo or a uh news clip with yeah. them talking over it of like what's going on with them mm-hmm. so again it's just another you know jarring thing that spike lee that spike lee does in this movie it's a coincidence that it came out and uh, mm-hmm. around this time, so yeah, uh, I think it's, I think just I think the times are just getting like more and more, you know, re- realistic in that sense, and and coincidental times when when movies are released, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? 
Like, yep. hey, let's put out the movies that are matching up nowadays times. Because mm-hmm. I always call movies uh, hieroglyphics, you know, hieroglyphics mm-hmm. of what's happening or what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the way I, I always yeah. I, I always look at it that way. Um, cause there's hieroglyphics in every country, every language, no matter what race, whatever language you are, but America is always the movie part. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is how it's going to go down. They've been doing that for years. Like we've seen how things played out, you know? Um, yeah. but, uh, that's another conversation for another day, <laughs> a long mm-hmm. conversation. Um, to wrap up the, the five bloods though, uh, what would you give it out of 10 there? Honestly, I just, as it was going on. Mm-hmm. Like it kept doing, you know, those jarring things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a really, you had, you know, good performances from uh, the main cast. Like you definitely feel like, oh, they get along, you know, they just get along so well. And it's just really fun to kind of watch them interact. But there's too many weirdness kind of going on. There's scenes that drag out, there's scenes mm-hmm. that are just missing. Mm hmm. Like they'll be like they're fighting in the jungle, like like literally at gunpoint, uh, like literally at gunpoint, and then it just cuts to um, the next day they're walking um, oh, out of the jungle oh, to I meet hate, the tour guide to leave. I hate those type scenes. It's it doesn't refer back and it doesn't go back to like what happened, <laughs> like, like how, how it, did it deescalate? <laughs> how, yeah, how it got finished, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that always bugs me in movies. That could bug a lot of people actually. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, like there's just certain characters, certain char- like I won't go like into it to sp- like spoil it all. Certain characters just become like less and less likable, and like kind of at the end, it's just they it tries to re- kind of redeem them, but it's like eh, no, didn't redeem. Doesn't itself. really work. Kind of kind of like um what I was mentioning about um Howie Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems last week. Yeah, that um like he especially since he's just doing like. He's just making the situation worse and worse for himself. Yeah. Like Howie, he would always, every time he, like Howie, he, like how Howie and Uncut Je- like Adam Sandler, he, after right after he pawned someone else's jewelry or belongings, yeah. and he just starts t- like sending uh, photos of the cash that he got for like someone, for pawning someone else's property. Yeah. And like sending it to someone else, hey, look at the money I got. Yeah. It's like, dude fuck you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, that, that's kind of like what went down like towards the end of this movie but where you kind of stopped where you stop feeling for the character kind of at times. kind of yeah but then then you know all, all the ones that do kind of you know, make it out you know they get a happy ending right and the movie just and you know we got it has to go to you know oh the the uh blacks the black lives matter uh congregation you know at a college or like oh you know we gotta you know you know she look at all this other you know stuff and you know it, it wraps up nicely but it's just I don't know, I don't really feel like it's really earned that right as as a movie yeah I, I mean it feels good but it's just not what, as a movie would you so like it, would you like the IMDb score first before you give your score and would you want to agree with it or disagree see where it's at oh yeah yeah go ahead so throw it at me. IMDb gave it a 6.8 out of 10. What would you mm. like to give it? 6.8. I would honestly give it a 4. Give it a 4, okay. Because um, I, I was thinking 5 early on. Right. But kind of like thinking about it, 
yeah to me at least it's it's to me at least it's not a movie that i want to kind of go back to i'm not gonna get anything out of it rewatching it yeah and just thinking about it more and more i just felt like what about recommending it i'm not sure Maybe that's kind of like why I was kind of stuck between a four and a five. Cause just, I don't know if it would actually, yeah. cause it's not like a guilty pleasure movie either. I guess you could kind of get a sense that maybe it had like a bit of a rushed production, but not mm-hmm. really too much. It would still, yeah. uh, you know, it has some good shots. Sometimes it has some questionable shots sometimes. And mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just like too much kind of like butting heads like within it. So, yeah. Like I would probably just give it a strong four, light five, something like that out of ten. It's four and a half. Yeah. Four and a half. Alright, so Trey, what movie have you watched recently? Um, well, I have been um hearing about the King of Staten Island. Um mm-hmm. I've been hearing about it from a few rappers pages, you know, to check them out. Especially uh, Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, which is, I guess, good friends with Pete Davidson's, which is the star of the film. And uh, Machine Gun Kelly actually also has a little cameo in it. I thought it'd be a little oh, bit cool. bigger, but uh, it's just a, a small, quick scene. He plays a MGK plays a, a tattoo artist that um, uh, Pete Davidson wants to see and be an apprentice for him because uh, that's one of his uh, things he wants to do is uh, make tattoos and do tattoos, mm-hmm. but. The funny thing is, his tattoos are really bad. Like they're <laughs> they're so bad. They're they're all comical. Oh, no. no one takes them seriously. But that's not even the that's not even the um, the story of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. the The story of the movie. Um, so he plays a guy named Let's see, Scott Car- Carlin. Um, by the way, it's directed by Judd Apatow, which also directed uh, 40 Year Old Virgin, um, yeah. Trainwreck, and Knocked Up. I haven't seen Trainwreck, mm-hmm. but I stay away from Amy Schumer's movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of her. But anyways, uh, so I was like, oh, wow, I haven't heard about that director in a while. I'm surprised he hasn't made more films. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I, you know, I decided to check this one out. And, you know, it's about... Uh, He's kind of like, he's kind of like a loser at home. I think Mm -hmm. he's portraying a 24-year-old. He has a sister (laughs) going to college. He just lives with his mom. His father died. Um, His father died as a firefighter, which in real life, his father did die in a fire, uh, being a firefighter. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, his his real dad uh, died in the 9-11 thing. Um, uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, he was a firefighter. Yeah, during all that rumbleness, or whatever you want to call that, um, mm-hmm. they don't say that story in it in this movie, but they just mm-hmm. say you know his dad died, um, which which is interesting because I noticed uh, I've only seen this is the second Pete Davidson movie I've seen, mm-hmm. in which I don't think he has many movies. I think this is the only second movie he has, and uh, I noticed the realism with his movies, even though he's not directing it or writing it. I feel like he only wants to do a movie if it can relate to a generation of like maybe 25 year olds and under like it can can also relate to 30 year olds and under. But like it gives people a uh, what do you saw? Just it it gives them a, a sense of like, hey, even though what age you are, you could still make it out of this. 
you know, because mm-hmm. I feel like we, we live in a, a rough time with these generations of kids growing up, teenagers, you know, like, oh, yeah. what am I going to do with my life? Or how long am I going to live with my parents? Or if I'm going to go to college? And I think that's what mm-hmm. this focuses on. So his sister goes to college, you know, and then she leaves and, you know, it's just him and his mom. Um, you know, he lives with his or he lives with his mom and he hangs out with his stoner friends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it just like his mom ends up meeting another firefighter coincidence. You know, he gets upset oh. about that. <laughs> um, and he's get he gets very jealous of it. He has emotional problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he smokes a lot of weed and stuff like that. He just can't get his shit together at all. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what he does. And, and it does, it's, it, he doesn't try hard either, which makes it tougher. It's almost like he's okay with the mindset he's got. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, he's not an asshole or anything. He just looks at, like, something like, oh, well, you're just, you're going to fuck up that way no matter what anyways. Or, you know, and then. Yeah, yeah like, he's got, like, he's comfortable with living in, like, kind of mediocrity. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He, he doesn't need, he doesn't need to put any effort into trying to be better right so like he just kind of just maintains kind of like you know his like low level that he's at yeah like i said and he's not an asshole he's just he's very observant with others and see how their life's Mm -hmm. going he's very depressed on himself um Mm -hmm. he he he, uh he does make fun of his depression at times which Mm -hmm. i think a lot of depressive uh people do need to do Mm-hmm. They they need to make fun of their depression because if they don't, then they just live in it. You know what I mean? And I, I learned that from you is like uh, sometimes the the what you call it the sometimes the first signs of grief is uh, comedy or something like that or laugh about it like, or like or it's like um, the uh, the uh, the most depressed people laugh the loudest. Something yes. Like that. Yes, exactly. That's what it is. And I think that goes along with his actual life, too, because I he talked mm-hmm. about his depression a lot in like interviews and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's almost like I, I, some this is the second Pete Davidson movie I watched. Right. But it's just like, am I watching a movie about him or like am I watching a movie? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's why it, it's so realistic. Like uh, he's just changing the story a tad bit from his real life. You know what I mean? I feel like that's yeah. how uh, Eight Mile was when you know when Eminem started it. I used to think like the whole movie was an Eight Mile. I thought it was about Eminem's life, right? But mm-hmm. it wasn't. He just made it very similar to his life, but it wasn't the way it was. You get, mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? Just like slight, you know, changes, slight like variables. Yeah, like say know. this is instead of my brother, uh, this is my nephew. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like this is. This is not my sister. This is my niece. You know, just like mm. you change things like that. Um, but throughout the film, you know, it's a kind of a slow paced film, but it's great mm. pacing. Um, mm. It's always good. It, it It's great pacing. Nothing feels like it was a waste of time. Yeah. Mm. Like some scenes kind of are kind of long, but they're great long scenes. You know what I mean? Like every interaction just feels so real. And that's what I love about the film. It's so real. Like. It, it nothing seems phony you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so other than that like i don't want to i don't ex- i can't explain it like how the story goes you're just like following him around and mm-hmm. like going through his uh you know events of life uh you know like i said his mom finds a new um 
stepdad for him, basically, well, a boyfriend. And, you know, he's got mm. he's got to adjust to that. So everything he's got to adjust to, I guess, throughout the film. Mm. And but you you see how he adjusts to it. Um, and I would actually watch it again, too. That's the funny thing about it, okay. even though how slow it was. Just because of the, the realism, like I said, I love that realism um, where you can relate it to yourself or you know this could relate to other people. And I feel like mm-hmm. him and his, him as an actor, I feel like that's what he wants to do. He wants to make films relate to other people, but also make it funny, too, in comedy, you know? Because mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think we're in a very sensitive time when it comes mm-hmm. when it comes to reality, right? Like everyone's just kind of sensitive nowadays. You know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, like people are too comfortable with um, they're too comfortable with what they have going on. That if there's any sort of nudging, yeah, like even if uh, even or even a different opinion from their own. They just lose their shit over it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And that's what this that's what this film shows. Just like because you're thinking in your head like, bro, just chill out. It's going to be fine. You know? Yeah. Because um, like when his sister goes to college, she's all worried about him. And he's like, well, I guess I'm just going to, you know, she's like, I'm so worried about you. you're going to hurt yourself. He goes, well, you know what? I probably am. And that's <laughs> and, it's like, and, and he laughs about it, too. But she she's being serious, but he's not, mm-hmm. you know? Like, but he's not like uh, that emotional. But I feel like everything's so sensitive in our reality where you can't, you have to, if you say a certain thing or you act a certain way, um, it affects everyone around you. It affects Mm -hmm. your internal thoughts. You know what I mean? Um, And that's what's so funny about the times nowadays. Well, I guess it's not funny, but you know, it's just the way we live in, world we live in nowadays. It's funny in a way. Yeah, I, I try to make Definitely it funny. Not. Um, <laughs> Me too. And it, I think it's maybe because... It's the, only way, it, it's the only way you can really get through it. Right, and I think it's because we're in our late 20s now. But it, it, being a teenager, it probably isn't as funny, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Because, like, like sometimes I talk to uh, a couple of nephews and nieces here, and they're teenagers, but it's just like, man, they're so sensitive about everything. Especially the way they take social media, man, it's too sensitive. Um, But at least this movie doesn't follow social media. That's what I like about it too. It's like it totally left social media out of it. And I thought it was going to have social media because the way it is. Because I know P. Davidson, Mm -hmm. he's he's trying to um, uh, get words across to the younger generation, but making them look as like, hey, like like it has. It felt like a '90s movie at times too. You know, where it's just like Mm -hmm. friends just hanging out. You know, just you know tattooing or playing basketball it's like they didn't have their phones out no one's on their cell phones in this movie you know stuff like that um but uh the realism uh, was great for me so it sounds like they um did everything that they set out to you know in a proper manner yeah you know and they, they they kind of excelled in what they were going for you know that's great to hear yeah and um it, it was just kind of awkward because i watched this movie with my mother and uh, he lived with his mother. So mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of interesting watching them interact, too. I'm just like, oh, he's with his mother. I'm with my mother right now. We're watching mm-hmm. this film. It kind of made him a little bit older. It made me feel better because he was only t- <laughs> he was only 24. I'm like, God, yeah. should have made him 30 or something. Um, the actor in real life is because, probably 30. Because they make, yeah, because they make it look like if you're 24 and you're not in college, you're already a loser. 
God, that, that's <laughs> the way that they, they made it seem. And I feel mm, like that's how that's our, the way, rea- that's the way. our reality is, right? Already? Yeah. That's and, the way it seems to be I didn't now. feel like that at 24, but I feel like that as like I get closer to 30. I'm like, oh, shit. I mean, even if you do, you're not guaranteed to get any job, any actual good careers because all the older senior like people, they don't quit. (laughs) And that's what's funny. I think he mentions that, too. Like he does have his own belief of like how college works. And, you know, like it's that's why I was very uh, resembling to my thoughts. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. wait, I think the same way. It's like. And it's true. Everyone thinks, <laughs> but we all see what college kids get to live at and what the parties they get to go to, the friends they get to experience. But we also look at it, it's mm-hmm. just like, that's just all imagery. It's all like phoniness at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's all temporary, you know? Yeah. Um, but that wraps it up with the King of Staten Island. Um, <laughs> it's a coincidence it came out on the same day as uh, the Five Bloods. So it came out on June 12th. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so it's funny you watch that film and I watch this film and we didn't even know that it came oh, out. What a quickening! Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, this movie is a uh, on IMDb. It gave it a seven point two out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like want to stick with that, but mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give it a seven out of ten. That, that's All what right. I would do because you know like it would have been a little better uh, if it had some more energy to it but at the same time mm-hmm. it's very realistic but yeah I give that movie 7 out of 10 King of All Staten right. Island very good very good so now let's go into our topic movie of the week that is The Rainbow Thief directed yes. by Alejandro Hodorowski yes the father of midnight movies the father of midnight movies yeah is that like his nickname or something at the time Yep, that's like, that's like his um like his how, kind of status as a filmmaker. How did he, he get that nickname? Uh, he it started with his uh, movie El Topo. Mm-hmm. Uh, after John Lennon saw it, okay, he and Yoko Ono they convinced his uh, manager for the Beatles, Alan oh, Klein, right. yes, to buy the distribution rights for it. Yes, and. It was um, played in theaters, you know, all over the, the, the United States. Uh, but they were only, um, because of the graphic nature of the movie, they were only uh, doing showings like midnight or later. And, oh, okay, that's right. Cause, and uh, then from there, and from there on, you know, we get other um, movies of that kind of, of um, kind of, you know, similar prowess, like you know, Eraserhead, Pink Flamingos, yeah. all of those crazy movies. But the Rainbow Thief. Um, this uh, is one's different, though. It yes. does. It's not like full range, uh, unhinged Hodorowski. It's kind of held. It's held back, and you can definitely feel it watching it. Because uh, the studio, I forget whatever studio, uh, hired Hodorowski to direct the movie. Uh, I, I tried looking for a writing credit in the movie, but I didn't catch it unless it was Hodorowski. He also wrote it, but mm-hmm. I don't think he did. Oh, the because to the rainbow thief. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I don't think he did. It shows some guy, uh, Berta Dominguez, uh, was huh. the writer to the film. Um, yeah. Somehow I missed that credit in the movie. Did you ever watch the trailer to it? I don't think I did. 
I've heard of it in reviews or um, retrospectives of Alejandro, and they always bring it up as like you know, there was like this movie and another movie called Tusk that was made kind of like a weird period in between um, in like the nineties. Yeah, uh, where he um, it, it's like. Well, I, I feel like um, you showed me all the other Hollinger films. It's just like, hey, let's watch let's watch Rainbow Thief. You know, like, I didn't know how you were going to take it. I thought you were actually going to say no about it first. All right, you were talking about um, how uh, he disowned this film. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's the most mainstream film, I guess. Yeah, because um, it has a lot of, uh, like, tropes. Like the essence of Hodorowski, things like um, uh, there's the main character is a thief. That's like the Holy Mountain. The main character is a thief, mm-hmm. and then he's all he's looking after the nephew of the prince, uh, who um, so he can uh, get a part of his inheritance when the um, the prince dies. So in a mm-hmm. sense, you know, he's you know a piece of shit searching for gold. Uh, the nephew is always telling him. Um, you know, you could be better than that, much like also in the Holy Mountain. When the thief wants gold, the alchemist has him take his shit, uh, do a bunch of, you know, alchemy on it and turns into gold. And he tells him, you are excrement, but you can turn him, but you can turn yourself into gold. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he doesn't even want it anymore. He just wants to kind of, you know, better himself. Yeah. And there's also, um, you know, going out of the sewers is, you know, like El Telpo, the mole. Uh, it's, you know, the second half of the movie, Alejandro, you know, he lives underground and then, uh, eventually he, uh, finds his way out and then he gets all the people, all the, um, the deformed, you know, uh, uh, outcasts of the town living, uh, in the mountain. He gets them to, uh, come out as well. Uh, being, uh, living underground, you know, breaks surface, you know, that's another, you know, trope from El Topo. Yeah. You know, so a lot of things like that. Also, it just has like that kind of like whimsical, you know, like fairy tale, like um, fairy tale esque to it, where you know, like maybe like a miracle or two will happen. Even though throughout the whole movie, it's kind of mainly grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Some you know miracles come about. You could call the you could call the thief a bunch of names, but one of mm-hmm. them that matched where he was living. What a perfect example! A piece of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just, great. you know, throughout the whole movie, like, he just won't stop stealing. <laughs> yeah. And even, and even when he does, you know, like, try to um, exchange, you know, exchange things, it's usually, like, with an egg. Yeah. Like, he'll just give them an egg, and then he'll get, you know, like, a, like a newspaper or whatever. And then you find out later on that they're just eggs that he, you know, stole off of uh, yeah. a counter at a, a cafe bar from the yeah. barista that he, he that he's friends with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, interesting. It's funny how he'd use that as the most to uh, mm-hmm. trade with people or something. I'm guessing because that's what he could put in his pocket a lot easier you know mm-hmm. it's you know it's food and usually like um the people that he is you know stealing from are like uh poor people selling in the uh street markets mm-hmm. or in the circus or with you know other bums and homeless people like him yeah um also like him using an egg um that could also be a spiritual meaning at mm-hmm. at, at times uh like i know it an egg you know obviously means it can be birth 
like maybe birth mm-hmm. of a new relationship or birth of like you know like him doing this I, okay he, um i i would have to look more into that but i do know egg also goes back to like symbolism and into like uh buddhism um mm. they they use egg uh shapes um uh, as well you know to like oh wow and also an egg shape can also rep- represent the pineal gland mm. uh and the pineal gland is also known as the third eye because that's the it, it's the, it's the third it's the third it's it's the shape of the third eye right so it's the pineal gland uh-huh. and he's using an egg and he's using it to his advantage right mm-hmm. using the egg and he's thinking he could use his egg wherever he wants like hey i'll just get them with my egg you know hmm. um, that's interesting that's that's also that's also you know another uh, uh alejandro trope he always does uh, I he always has like now. a mystical <laughs> He, he always has, you know, like those kind of mystical yeah. or um, philosophical, religious uh, symbolism or ideologies, you know, mainly Christianity, but also, you know, bars from Buddhism, Taoism. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you know all that. Well, that's the thing. He he loves not just one religion. He loves mm-hmm. all religions. That's the that's the exactly. great. That's the great thing about it. I love how he transfers so much different information from religions. Mm-hmm. And that's what people need. They they need to fill all those different energies. That's yeah, how I agree. That's how you get into like metaphysics and like higher spirituality. Like mm-hmm. when you're past all those like, oh, I represent that, I represent that. And like, no, let's represent everything. Mm-hmm. I, I love that symbolism though. Okay. You can't um, just stick with one. You got to have it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, there's a couple times where um, they use uh, tarot cards. Do you, remember, mm-hmm. do you remember that? I yeah, thought in the that, beginning mainly. I was trying to figure that out. Um, I feel like that's a, a short conversation because it wasn't used very much. Obviously, I think it was just used twice, right? Yeah. We only really see two cards. I think the first one was the thief. And then uh-huh. when uh, uh, Daima, the main character, bomb, he uh, follows the nephew to the sewer. He picks up a second one. I forget what the second oh, actually, tarot no. card was. Remember, I told you, I think the first card. I remember oh, the f- yeah. The first card might have been like a prince or a king, right? But we, we didn't really get a good look at it because right. he just kind of like pulled it out of the yeah. deck. And then my guess, though, was either a king or a prince. And then then we got to the full card, which was mm-hmm. later on. So that kind of makes sense because uh, that guy was a prince, too. Um, mm-hmm. The one that was drawing the deck or that lived on the sewer, too, with him, right? Yeah, was yeah. He he was uh, related to royalty. And that actually might have been the reason why, now that I think about it, it could have been the reason why that he went down to live in the sewers in the first place because he was going to go see that room of lawyers uh, mm-hmm. talking about the inheritance of, like, what would happen if the, uh, the prince who fell into a coma were to die. Mm-hmm. And... I guess he before even walking into that room, the first thing he does is he takes out his tarot cards, and then he, he just draws three cards. I think right from the top of the deck. Yeah. It's like whoa, he like he pre-shuffled or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that. And then like those three uh, from those three cards, I think he made the decision to just you know no screw screw all this. I'm just gonna go live in the sewer. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> What a, quite a conclusion to draw. Which we but, didn't you know. really get like a hint of that from the cards because like I said, from what I could see, he either got the prince card or a king card out of mm-hmm. that. But either way, he still got a higher up card. But then mm-hmm. it, it wasn't until he started walking on the cross the bridge, right? And then mm-hmm. was he like dropping cards? 
Is that what happened? Like how how did mm-hmm. um how did how did the thief pick up that fool card? Or did he we... um he dropped it. Okay, so so but it's not really made it clear if it fell like out of his coat or if he intentionally dropped it to uh, lure somebody to follow him. You know what? I want to go with the lure, the lure yeah. part. Because, yeah, the luring. Because it felt like he was just dropping a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Was he dropping multiple cards? No, nah, I, I only I saw the two. I, you, you would think he would drop more, but it was really just the two. Okay. And those scenes were really interesting as well because he doesn't talk. Yeah. Like, he doesn't have a line of dialogue throughout those two scenes. Mm-hmm. You hear the lawyers, you know, like, uh, bickering in the background. But it's his character is all at first is all just kind of like, you know, just kind of like um, uh, he's just like a presence. He mm-hmm. he does the tarot cards. He walks in, does the t- reads the tarot, and then he walks out. And then it's just kind of like, I guess that might be another like alluring thing for the for a dime of the thief as well, because he just kind of like follows him. Maybe he even recognized him. Yeah, but, you know, we don't really get that. It's just kind of like we're just kind of like going along watching these two dudes walk into a sewer with his um, with his dog Kronos. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, how like you said that, like uh, this had to be more of a, a Hollywood film type Alejandro film. Right. So, yeah, it's a more studio movie. So when it comes down to the tarot cards, I don't think they wanted to put that much thought into it. But Alejandro's yeah. like, no, let's put some tarot cards in it. Like, so, okay, we see the, we, let's pretend that was the prince card because I know it's either prince or king, but it doesn't matter. Let's say that was the prince card. Anyways, mm-hmm. time goes on. The thief gets the full card. Before you know it, you got the prince card and the th- full card. Boom. Mm-hmm. Not much thinking is involved there. You just got mm-hmm. the two characters get put together. I see. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like, I feel like in an Alejandro, like real film, he would have made it more interesting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in a Hollywood aspect, like, no, we're not. We don't want the audience to get that confused on these tarot cards. So everybody still has their clothes on. Yeah. We're (laughs) going to make it very short. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, this guy pulls that card. Oh, he throws a couple cards. Oh, uh, the thief pulls out the full card. You know without I mean? saying without really saying anything he's just like huh and this, but, st- this speaks to me yes and without that much deep thinking from the audience you mm-hmm. know what i mean because you know alejandro wants you to have deep thinking but Holly- mm-hmm. hollywood don't nope yeah. hollywood wants to tell you exactly how to feel when to feel it and yeah. that's not really the way alejandro rolls he wants you to feel like all sorts of things all at once you know many i think we just dissected the tarot scene Without anybody ever noticing it, if, if they ever watch it, like we literally just figured out. I'm telling you, like, oh yeah, it was because I wanted more out of that tarot card scene, and mm-hmm. nothing else makes more sense than that little like story together with those. Yeah, like okay, I, I would say we got it down. Yeah, I, I think we did. We we decoded it. <laughs> uh, moving on though. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they're just kind of like it, it just jumps to like a f- some years later right after that yeah and several years after later. that and after that it just follows the thief he just kind of like goes around town he visits a, thir- a circus steals some things he visits a cafe steals some eggs gets ruffled up by uh the uh the tall man and the short man from the circus there yeah with his bag of rocks getting getting chased by a dwarf but also teams up with you know a guy that's like seven feet tall 
Mm-hmm. Um, that that was cool. I like that. Interesting, like freak, freak the mighty kind of uh, pairing there. Um, I you know in I was what I, I see some of these characters and I just I I was liking the characters. I liked the character so much I almost forgot about the story. Um, mm-hmm. I just it's like I wanted to go around that town. That's the way I felt like to to visit all these type of characters. You know, yeah. What I mean? Um, that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It is. It is like somewhat interesting, but unfortunately, it, it there's something about the about the movie. It's just not as in depth. It's, it's just all like surface level. Yeah, as a Hodorowski movie. Yeah, it's very surface. Especially compared to his other ones, and um, you know, having having a real Hodorowski movie, you'd have a lot more going on. Because like, it, there's I mean, there's like some you know like peaks of it at the circus we have like those two guys yeah. i guess they're having some sort of like crucifixion contest to see who can hang on the cross the yeah, longest that was great they say they're at 17 hours and they're still going it's yeah. like yo what was it 17 feel, hours feel, is that what he said yep oh but i feel like that the studios are like no that's the farthest so we're gonna let you have with this i'm surprised <laughs> they even gave him the shot you know to even, yeah like shoot him but um yeah that that was definitely I just love the whole circus part even being put in there. It was mm-hmm. a very small circus compared mm-hmm. to what we probably could have got. Um, Alejandro loves his circuses. They're like almost they're almost in, in every one of his movies. And you know what's funny is like the the longer we talk about it, the more I could I could visualize how this movie could have been mm-hmm. with Alejandro totally having control of it. Exactly. Right? Like I, I love the uh, the European uh, like sci-fi mystery of it, not sci-fi, but like just m- mystic version of it. Mm-hmm. It would it would have been a great little story for him to add to his catalog, if he yeah, had, if he had total control. Because and it probably would have been um, told better and narratively as well as a film. Oh yeah, uh, because there's a lot of dialogue scenes that probably like. It felt out of place, especially for a Hodorowsky movie. And that's how you can also kind of tell, like, yeah, he definitely didn't um, write for this movie. Because mm-hmm. there's too many characters kind of, like, giving too much exposition, too much explaining things. Like, there, there'll be, like, uh, uh, scenes where you have the thief doing, like, all these random things for five minutes in the market. And then he goes up to the newspaper lady, just dumps all this information in five seconds and then walks away and like we have another two minute scene where he does like you know wacky hijinks without saying a word yeah and it's that like watching that I'm just like okay that that is not the Hodorowsky that i know yeah um th- that's what i'm saying like some of the scenes some of the st- some of the characters some of the settings are, are better than the story and, mm-hmm. it, and it made me want more i i like i didn't even care about the story anymore i just wanted to see more of these people and and mm-hmm. let, let's talk about the set designs um yeah i i love the set designs i love the places that they shot them at the yeah su- the sewer scenes were very nice like oh my god like that i was, think you mentioned that it was um shot on location in poland yeah Dev- uh, yeah it was in poland um i don't know about the sewers though i'm pretty sure though i feel like alejandro is the kind of director where he um he scouts he's he's he does like a really good job scanning out all these different kinds of locations. So mm-hmm. I want I want to believe that most 
of the sets in um in the sewers are like actual like uh uh like rainwater like pipelines mm-hmm. but yeah like on imdb that's all it says is poland and uk is where mm. like this was filmed and um that i i i've never said i i like sewer scenes but man they they, mm-hmm. they made good sewer scenes out of this film mm-hmm. um and, and you know they make them they do make it almost look livable almost i want to say like half of the movie well not, not half of the movie would you say half of the movie is in kind of like in the sewer scenes maybe like between a quarter and a third a quarter and a third yeah and, and maybe it, even more maybe like a straight third and you know what i thought i was gonna get annoyed by it being mm-hmm. in the sewer scenes but like when we get towards the end one of the best parts of the film is in the sewer scene you mm-hmm. know what i mean like um the whole I, I've never have said that I huge like, ass rainstorm and the whole thing is just starts flooding yeah i never said i like the sewer scene more than i've seen this scene I was, and that's where the, the t- mm-hmm. intense part comes in mm-hmm. near you know near the end uh but I, I love the set designs i i love like where they filmed the certain spots that mm-hmm. felt that felt Alejandro to me is like the yeah. spots they chose. That's what he knows I liked how to take it. it. He knows how to take a pretty picture. Yeah, and and uh, isn't there a thing about him when it comes to lighting? Like he knows what colors to use, what lighting. Like um, we we gotta have this type of lighting in a certain spot. Like even yeah. like, even like when they're in the bar, I'm just like I love this lighting. Like you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he always has like uh, a clear vision. How he wants everything to look, and he always, you know, gets it figured out. Yeah. And yeah, like every honestly, like every scene, looks you know like competently you know well shot and well lit. And it and it, it's and like uh, it, it like uh, pleasures my soul watching these <laughs> watching these settings. Like I'm yeah. just like man, I want to live. I want to live that setting. And that's what Alejandro's always been good at. He he knows how to create a setting. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I like about it on the mm-hmm. settings part. Unfortunately, though, I feel like that kind of ends to like all the things that I liked about the movie. Mm-hmm. Everything with, like everything we already talked about. Basically. Yeah, because <laughs> like go, like if you try to dive deeper into it, like in the story, yeah, and, like some of the characters. Do you notice we avoided like, that? <laughs> yeah, we because like we avoided the story. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because it's it's it kind of ignores it for the most part. Because you know, mainly it's just a bunch of waiting. We're just waiting for you know the prince to finally die, and then yeah. he does, and um, it turns out that the nephew is not going to get you know anything out of the out of the inheritance, mm-hmm. and the nephew doesn't care. Yeah, because he's like, because it's because um he's like the the nephew is a very eccentric. Much like the uh, the prince was uh, in the very beginning of the movie, played by played by Christopher Lee, like he's just like riding on his you know like like mechanical like wheel cow. He has like um, the boot. He, he, I think he has his family. I think it was his family that came over, and they're all like you know like real like royal royal like bougie type. He serves them dog bones, and he gives the dogs caviar. <laughs> And then he tells them basically to fuck off and leave right after once they got pissed off. Uh, but the uh, the nephew is a lot like him too, but he yeah. is more of like a he's more of like a go with the flow, 
you know, if I have to live in the sewers, I have to go live in the sewers and I'll go and I'll make the best of it. Uh, and I'm still royalty, though, so I got to have a servant, you know, like help me um, around. <laughs> you know, he, he needs to go check the water levels for me. Yeah. But and I definitely get the sense of like where the movie was going at because Alejandro does kind of like does like to have, you know, the enlightened character versus the uh, uh, kind of like the low life who, you know, mm-hmm. has potential to, you know, uh, find enlightenment as well. Yeah. But to me, it seems like it both characters went into the extreme. Alejandro always has this grounded sense on both sides. And he himself, that's what he calls the dance of reality. But as human beings, you still, you know, want to have that, you know, connection with other people. You know, you you want to find love. You want to have sex. You want to have passion. You want to have desires. But, Mm -hmm. and that's where the dance of reality kind of comes in is, um, you kind of like, you know, dance around it. You, ha- you can have a little bit of both as long as, you know, you don't go overboard with it. And I feel like that's what the nephew does. He kind of goes overboard. He's just he he's too like lavish living in the sewers. The the homeless thief, though, uh, Daima, he keeps like even telling him off like um he keep, he's always telling him off throughout the whole movie. But right. the nephew just keeps telling him back. Oh, no, you'll see it one day. Like you're yelling at me right now. You're angry, but you could see that I do not care because I have found, you know, peace. Have found, you know, enlightenment within myself. And it's just, it doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel as intelligent as it does in other Alejandro movies because he's yeah. just you know, too I, too into it. I, I I totally agree with that. Um, I it's like yeah he. I felt like he was pretending to be intelligent. Yeah. Um, I felt like he was faking his enlightenment. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't buying it. And that's probably why Alejandro maybe because that's why he disowns it, because when it comes down to the start to the finish, you're just not believing it. You're Mm -hmm. um, it's you're not liking this guy like, you know, you don't even give a reason why you should like this guy. Right. Like, Not really. No, you, you don't understand anything when it comes to like him talking with his, you know, dead dog. Um, <laughs> like the only guy you like is actually the thief in the whole film. It's just like it, this dude's trying to just be a good person. And, and it proves that to the actual end of the movie. Like he tried. Not- he even had a chance to escape the whole storm, you know? Mm hmm. But um. He not really. I I kind of disagree with that. He doesn't really. Which part? Uh, tr- uh, of him trying to be a good person, because he doesn't really ever do anything throughout the whole movie to better himself. He's just always trying to find like the next. He's like he always like finds something else he wants to steal. He wants to steal next. No, remember that one time um, when the when the two dudes were attacking the female. Mm-hmm. He tried to fight back. But then she ended up being like all into it. He was like, oh, what the hell am I doing? I mean, it it seemed like he tried to do things. Um, Uh, Okay, I I, guess so. I feel like he just had a very conflicted mind of what was good. Yeah, what was what was good, what was bad, you know, like, I know I I get what you mean. Yeah, he didn't understand stealing is bad. 
<laughs> well, he understands if a female's getting, you know, uh, taking control over. Oh, he's like, okay, I'll step in. So, mm-hmm. that, so that part of him was good, but he just mm-hmm. he was very conflicted on what was good and what was bad. Yeah, and therefore that makes it like a kind of a, cl- a conflicting character for the audience because yeah, it's just yeah, yeah exactly. you don't know like what he really wants. Yeah, you don't because he's because everybody else around him, everyone he knows, it always seems like he's in debt with everybody. And he doesn't really, he always tells them, oh, I'll pay you back. But then he does it kind of like, and um, by just, you know, finding something else to steal. Much again, much like Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. Right. And it doesn't make him, you know, uh, it makes him an unlikable character, really, for the most part. Um, What do you, what do you think of his connection, though, between, uh, so Dima and uh, uh, the prince, like, the, ne- the nephew yeah like i i, like, I, I forget they just, they said the nephew's name a couple times it's like it's, a really weird it, european name like uh, I'm, i can't even try to pronounce it i'm gonna i'm gonna try it, <laughs> it's like melagre melagre one of those melagre melagre well <laughs> we'll just say the prince and uh dima um but he's not a prince though he's a net he's the nephew well that's what imdb pronounces him as they they put Christopher Lee as the uh, the uncle. <laughs> yeah, they, but that's no but, no that's uh, Christopher Lee was the prince. Well, I guess the other guy became the prince. I know that's what IMDb is saying. They they announced him the prince. <laughs> huh. <laughs> but then why why is he hiding on the sewers if his uncle is know, in a coma? It's weird. <laughs> IMDB might be wrong. Then we might have to go and check the YouTube video. They're like they don't know what to put him as. May- <laughs> well, if you think about it, like maybe he he was the prince, but he just lived underground. Like maybe he. But was- like royalty doesn't really work that way with nephews. It's always the uh, the direct lineage. So like father, king, son, prince. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know how they wanted to put it. It was very confusing um, characters and uh, positions, as I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that part was confusing on their end, not on our end. You know what I mean? Like, we were trying to figure out who was who at the beginning, but the, we start to get it. But we, the Prince thing was confusing, right? Yeah. Like, if IMDb is saying one thing, we're trying to think one thing, and then the movie is saying another thing. The, the movie that was then like delivering an incorrect message to me yeah. or like not in a way, not presenting it in a way that I could understand it. But you got to remember, too, though, um, Dima, he was also treating him like if he was a prince. Mm-hmm. Right. But so, only because he was waiting for him to get the inheritance from his uncle after he died. Right. And then like once um he died, he does die and you know, finds out that he's not getting anything. He ain't getting that's when he shit. he leaves him. Yeah, <laughs> that was such a. That's wild when scene. he that's that's when he leaves him and then goes on for that boat job that the uh, the bartender was telling him about. That was a that was an exciting part when he realized mm-hmm. he was not getting nothing. Oh yeah, I felt very, so very. I felt so bad. Yeah, very a very dramatic uh, dialogue scene there. That was pretty good. And if in a, <laughs> if anyone's listening now. Um, you can still watch it on uh, YouTube right now yeah. for a decent quality mm-hmm. with, uh, was it Spanish subtitles? Yeah, huge Spanish subtitles. Huge 
Spanish subtitles. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, I'm surprised, like, like it wasn't that bad of a movie to be suppressed. You know what yeah, I mean? Like it wasn't like bad. It just did. It's just kind of, I don't a, even want to, I don't even want to say that it fell flat. It's just, it seems like some constantly on that line and doesn't really escalate or deescalate overall. But Manny, it feels like somebody wants it to go away. You know what I mean? Like that's why they didn't it's probably, put it on it's probably Alejandro. Either Alejandro or the movie studios. Like mm-hmm. it has to be one of those two. Those those are the enemies, right? Or the not enemies, but um antagonists, protagonists. The like, oppressors. The oppressors. Yeah. One of them wants mm-hmm. it to go away. And we got to watch it. And that's what I'm proud of. I had a good yeah. time I had a good time watching it. Um I Yeah, know, me too. I know it wasn't the best story, but mm-hmm. I, I have fun time watching it. I was in the mm-hmm. sewer the most of the time watching it, but um you know, it's it's a sewer. It's a sewer movie. You get to get out of that hole at this at a certain time. It was very interesting. And I felt like I was watching a homeless person at the same time too. Like, what yeah. what, what would they do with their day? You know, like how would it go? Mm-hmm. And that's what I liked about it. Like, I, I got yeah. a, I got a different experience out of it. Yeah, following the uh, the story of an uh, outsider. Yes, exactly. Of like a society. Um. So, do you want to add anything else to it? No, it it does have you know it's you know Alejandro essence, right? But it's overshadowed by you know just a lot of underwhelmingness. Um, so IMDb give this a five point nine out of ten. Mm-hmm. What would you like to give it? I would have to give it a five. A five. Mm-hmm. Okay. It has its qualities to it, but there's too much that um, it doesn't, you know, outshine, you know, everything that's kind of underwhelming of it. You could definitely and, tell it does not fit at Alejandro film. Mm-hmm. It's definitely so, an outcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I would probably, like I would probably watch it again, but not as like something to kind of like admire for a second viewing. Not yeah. like a guilty pleasure kind of viewing, but I guess just kind of like a, you know it's been a, you know it's been like a few years. Maybe I'll check it out again. But so you get a five. Yep, five out of ten. I feel That's like how I feel. I want to create a new rule though. I feel like if you want to give it a second viewing, it has to be above five. Yeah. So you I feel it, like you want to give, uh, give it a six. <laughs> the way I see it, like to for That's it to good. be a six, it has to be. Um, Kind of like almost a guilty pleasure to watch. Guilty pleasure. Um, yeah. Because like five, I feel like five is just the surface. It's just the average. What would you rate it? Um. So, okay. So IMD gave it a 5.9. You said you give it a five? Yep. Um, I'm going to give it a... Mm, shit. This is a tough one. I really mm. enjoy the settings. <laughs> uh, I want to give hey, it something I, to enjoy. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a six and a half. Okay. If if the if the story was a lot better and it was more energetic and Alejandro mm-hmm. had more control, oh boy, it would have been a nine or a ten, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I give it a six only because of the settings. Alejandro put his input into it. It's like mm-hmm. It's like every scene I was waiting for something more to happen, but it just would not happen the way I wanted yeah. it to. 
Alejandro watching his films, he he would not even create that thought in my head or like, hey, the story should go this way or the actor should act that way. No, I'm watching the film. And I'm just like, this is perfect. Like mm-hmm. everything is happening. Perfect. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen next. I feel weird. I don't everything is like going on. You have no idea what's going on, yeah. but it's happening as it should be. Yeah, I'm like, and I'm just going with it. I'm like, okay, whoa, I got through that scene. I'm ready for the next <laughs> scene. What's gonna happen bring next? It. Yeah, bring it, bring it up. Bring hey, it up. Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's hey, go. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. He made me take extra breaths through his <laughs> films, and and you know when you you show me his films, I'm just like, oh shit, like I don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Cannot wait to see his uh, his newer movie, Psycho Magic, uh, a healing art. That comes out. When in it comes August, out in right? August. Yeah. Hell yeah, my birthday month. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Leo season. <laughs> Anyways, that uh, that wraps it up for me on uh, the Rainbow Thief. It was a great mm-hmm. film. Um, for at, for what its aspects were, but if you find the falls, you find the the good things about it. It's it's a half and half film. It really is. Yeah. It's a perfect example of what a half and half film is. It it's also a perfect example of when a director is not getting along with the production mm-hmm. of of the you know or what do you even call that the director versus what studio yeah the like studio. Like, like you were there saying you production yeah the studio versus the director that is a perfect example of why something cannot be worked out but you see the differences in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to say about that. If you're a fan of Hodorowski, you should definitely, I would say, you know, give it a check it out. You have to. <laughs> Maybe not have to, but, you know, it's definitely worth it if you're a fan. Right. Because <laughs> you'll actually be able to kind of like point out, oh, maybe, you know, this is what he was going for. But um, uh, studio doesn't want to change the script and or the dialogue. So he was just stuck with it. Yeah. But there's still like a lot of scenes to like about it. I especially, you know, enjoyed the flooding scene and the sewers and all that. So mm-hmm. just, you know, those, that stuff was incredible. Yeah. Everything else around it. Maybe not so much. <laughs> just leave it at that. Five out of 10. Five versus out of 10. your, with your 6.5 out of 10. 6.5. Hey, very close to ratings though. Yeah. Very close. Very that you visit out to like a nice, light six so yeah definitely makes it worth a watch exactly yep still check it out it's still on uh youtube if you guys want to watch it uh there's a couple different versions on there might be the easiest version of you to watch if not then you're gonna have to go buy it somewhere on ebay from some other country because i will tell you now it's not on amazon it's not on any streaming net netflix hulu or Mm -mm. Um, any other uh, providing services so uh, you're gonna have to do what you gotta do and you gotta watch it either on YouTube or you're gonna buy it it's a rarity but not in you know the not nice kind that you would exactly. think <laughs> it, it's a rarity until it's on YouTube <laughs> until it gets deleted <laughs> but, but alright yeah yeah. so I guess that does it for this episode mm-hmm. this week Yep. thank you everybody for listening thank you uh, Please, you know, tune in next time on the next episode of Monolith de Mythos, the Monster Studio Podcast. I'm Manuel. He's Trey Spells. Trey Spells. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.